0: We go somewhere, you know, and they say, what part of Ireland did you come from? And I mean, we don't think it we speak like Irish or whatever, but they'll ask say, what part of Ireland did you come from? I went up to the festival, to Mariposa, we are up there, and I was talking to one And she said, what part of Ireland did you come from? I said, honey, I was never in Ireland. But the crowd here nearly everyone talks, like the Irish people. Yeah, They says to go to Ireland, you know, they're just the same as the crowd here talking.
1: And we knew about Ireland. The Irish knew very, very little about us because it had been chopped off. No communications. We were poor and, uh, and struggling. And the, uh, there was more pizzazz with the term Irish-American. Uh, the Irish used to say, uh, the next parish to Ireland was Boston or New York. And it's not so. It's St. John's.
2: I've seen places in Ireland that are not nearly as what is accepted to be Irish as this place.
3: The traditional conception of the Irish in, in North America is they came to North America with the arse out of their pants. Right? Well, the Irish who came to Newfoundland came long before the famine. Uh, they entered the trades, they entered the fishery, they became merchants. They did very well, thank you, very much and they put a lot into this community. They also brought a lot back to places like Waterford and Yall and Wexford, New Ross, you know. Um, The Newfoundland fishery, people don't bother going 40 days in one direction across the stormy North Atlantic to get to a place like Newfoundland unless there's some kind of reward at the end of it. And yes, there was real wealth to be derived.
4: The Irish connection to Newfoundland goes back to Actually, 1683 was the first record I could find of uh, an Irish... apart from St. Brendan, this, you know, this legend that St. Brendan came over. But uh, apparently in 1683, there was a man living on an island off the coast of Newfoundland, near Trinity Bay, called Ireland's Eye. Now, his name I don't know, but it was that's the first official record. A lot of Irish came to Newfoundland after the Wexford Rebellion, between uh, 1798
5: and
6: 1825. (laughs) Over 90% of the Irish coming to Newfoundland over two centuries or so of time came from or well, roughly within 20 miles of Waterford City, the hinterland of Waterford, which would include centres such as New Ross, small towns such as um, Great Namana and Innistig and Thomastown and Callan and Carrickenshire, but not, for example, uh, the city of Kilkenny, which is too far north. So it's a, a very limited, very focused migration basin. What is more that continue to be the source area for labor and for migrations for, for a century and a half of, of time. People leaving over generations so that migration is not kind of a, a sudden rush, uh, like the famine migration that just has a very short duration. It's rather um, a tradition of moving over generations from a particular place, a townland or a parish, so that it was handed down as a habit, and they knew about the place
7: for many, many generations. And that's, that's unusual. And the great-grandfather built this house here, that we're living in now, for his, for his son, Tim. In, and the, the great-grandfather died in 1855. So we take it that the house was settled by the family, around 1855 oh. and the, Tim then became by the standards of those days Tim became fairly wealthy he became a shopkeeper and a, a keeper of horses or trucks preceded the motorized ways of conveyance so he was fairly well off and then he Inherited this house, and the great grandfather, the builder of this house, left, left the house to Tim, who, who in turn left it to my grandfather, his brother Michael. Then another brother, Patrick, ha- acquired some land a mile from here. And by the way, that place is being developed now. It was a very, bu- very lovely farm years ago, and he, Tim, Tim's wife was an Irish speaker. And it is from her that my father had some Irish, and had a great reverence for the Irish language. Uh, her name was Margaret Barry, known as Peggy Peggy Barry. Mm. And they did some farming, but there were large families in those days, and usually farm four or five acres of cleared land mm. out of uh, grant of forty-three couldn't sustain a whole family. There were 12 children. Be by bit, they married and went to live, some in St. John's and some in the States. And a few of them died early. And the area was totally Irish. Our nearest neighbours, they were Wickham's. They were from Adamstown County, Wexford. Then just beyond them were the O'Leary's. And just across the river were O'Dwyer's. And beyond that was Balkans, and the, about about twenty five families settled in this area and It was notable that the whole suburbs really, from oh ten miles we say of suburbs they they were all settled by Irish farmers. How they must have waited for spring, yeah, and they, keeping keeping their cattle housed. Stabled for from November to May, and how they had to provide for them. Yeah, you come into a area we covered with those monster. We call them that, spruce trees, spruce and fir. Have to get those out of the ground first, and it cultivates a little area, and bit by bit it cultivates some acreage. There was there were no extensive farms among the Irish.
0: My great-grandmother, uh, she came from County Wexford, in Ireland. Yeah, Her name was uh, Bridget Power. They used to call her Biddy. Irish Biddy, that's what she used to go by the name. Uh, her husband now, my grandfather, he was a Nash. And on my mother's side, um, my grandfather came from County Cork. He was a cafe. But anyway, Nearly everyone round this place came from Ireland. You know, their ancestors came from Ireland. But they said, you know, they were great musicians. They could sing or play or doing. It was always a good time here at the branch. Ah, we had different kind of accordion music and singers. Oh, they were the best. They could sing, and we lived then in branch. I was born nineteen twenty-four, and we lived there, and we had a nice. But then. In them times, them days, it was hard to get the fishing, you know? The way you used to have just the dory and the way you'd have to go out, I mean, it was really hard, and not like it is today. Them times, you had a skull nore and, and you had skiffs for to get out to the guy, and sometimes the skiffs would get, you know, they could run aground, and you had it real hard for to get out, you know, and open boats, and you'd no such thing as buying a kettle, just have a little a little kettle they called a boat's kettle and they'd have their bread in that so that the sea wouldn't get wet you know and they'd have the kettle they'd boil it when they get out fishing they make a little fire on the boat you know they'd have a little tin pan and put the fire in and boil the kettle out there and they'd have fishing but then the fish was plenty that time but they only get a small price for it they have to send for supplies in the boats and the big boat is here coming whenever we see the boat coming then they'd all go down you know for expecting their your supplies they go down, and when they get the supplies, then' be glad to come in and to get it on and them times like now not to get drink or rum rank. you get one bottle of rum that's what you get for the whole year to keep that for Christmas, and they have it. you know they thought that was good for get them times so hard to get so but one thing just to have them times just to make the big keg of beer you know with the yeast cake, the molasses. And sometimes just have the beer made with hops, you get it in a peck and you'd boil it and put it in. but mostly yeast cake and molasses and leave at work for so many days and you'd have that for Christmas. And the all just enjoyed herself, crowing around singing and telling stories and everything. But that's the way you used to live them times. And what I'd be wondering, we have so much things now, turn on the switch, run turn and still and all, Nobody have time to speak. That's what I can't understand. You'll meet him, oh, you have the time after all. I'll see, I'll see you later, and you would never lay eyes on him again.
2: What I like about Branch so much is the characters here. Really, like, there's a whole string of communities. You've driven out now today, you've driven out the Cape Shore, and you're coming out from, from Placentia, right down along the coast, all the different communities, Patrick's Cove and Kustler and St. Brides, and Angel's Cove, but this would be the place that was so rich in... Storytelling and singing—you know the music. Everybody's known here for I uh, know, except me. Couldn't carry a note in a bucket. <laughs> Couldn't sing to save yourself. But um, my my and my mother's side from out the road, they would all be a very musical family. The works. My father used to torment her to Jaisal. Well, you know she was she was a tinker somewhere way back, so no wonder she's so fond of being on the go all the time and singing and, and, and playing. But um, it's a fishing community still is a fishing community, even after round one and round two of the moratorium, we would define ourselves as a fishing community. Um, you know, I mean, you can look across and we live right right in the bay and people would be tied to the sea. Every family is tied to, somehow tied to the sea, either they're fishing or they're you know somebody in their family is fishing, or they're working on shore, you know, tangled up with the fishery. Um, not so much my family; <laughs> we're probably the exception. We're uh, I grew up on a on a farm here on the farm, with the sheep and the cows and a few horses and a few hens just to pass yourself, so you wouldn't have to go to the store and buy eggs. And um, you know, we have all of our, we're, we're primarily a farming, grew up in a farming sort of an environment, but. Um, As you can see around, it's not the kind of community you want to be doing a lot of farming in. It's not really conducive to, it's not agricultural land here. And I would say it's most like parts of Donegal. Donegal and and Connemara. You know, right out the west of uh, of Connemara. And um, the most northwesterly parts of Donegal. It's rough, it's rocky. Lots of bays and inlets around around this, this area. And it's all, it's very hilly. So you have plenty of, of, of trees and, you know, you can see where people have cleared off the land here. But, I mean, as you can see, just looking across, I'm living here. We're, we're sitting here in the Easter Cove, it's called. And you look over across at the light, the last one over the Wester Cove. And um, I remember sitting, gosh, I think it was, uh, it was somewhere Road in Galway. I can't remember exactly the place it was. It was not too far from Roundstone, anyway. I remember sitting down there, and I was just driving along the coast, driving in, and you just come up over the hill and you look down. You look down into the community, and the whole community is right along. I thought, you know, it's just like home. That would be most like the landscape. The people here were mostly Powers and Nashes, McGrath's. That's, you know, what, what, what Branch is known for. The first fellow to come over here from Ireland was a Nash. And he came over, uh, Nashes and Powers were, were the first... So, I suppose now you could trace me back on both sides to one or the other of those families' power, obviously. And it'd be my, my name.
0: A big crowd of mummers come and they step and knock at the door. They say, Can the mummers come in? And they say, Yes. Oh, the big crowd that come in and they have a cord in or they have a mouth organ. And it's half of the mats, there's a mats on the floor, and half of the mats on the bare floor. And they dance and dance. And well, go, if you had a drop of beer, or whatever you'd have, they'd all have a drink of beer, or whatever. And they have a good time. And there was really good singers, in you know, at that time. And they had these really good songs. they sit down and they dance and sing. Then they'd say, now the mummers have to go now. And they go to nearly every house. And by the time they get to the last house, we get to midnight, two or three like in the morning. <laughs> They just have some good Oh um, Cutting around the corner with me old raggedoo And I, I met a little flaxie At a girl one day Good morning little flaxie to her I'd say Good morning little beggar man How do you do with your rags and your jags And your old raggedoo you They sing that and you know, Just have a real good time Especially them old fellas They'd have songs now you'd never get to know But when Christmas comes they'd all sing And then you mightn't sing it the next Christmas again <laughs> We said it was good. There's all kinds of different Irish songs. And there were one about, did you ever go into an Irishman shanty where the water was scarce and the whiskey was plenty, a two-legged stool and a table to match a stick in the door instead of a latch.
1: <laughs> My mother's people were uh, surname English and they were from somewhere in the Comrades or... Commerigs, my grandfather called it. But the Carines, they could have come from anywhere, and, and they always maintained their Irishness like all the rest of them out in the Cape Shore, who were of 100% Irish extraction. Yeah, somewhere around 1818, 1820, 18, they, uh, they came, uh, two brothers came out. The story goes that one of them went back and afterwards brought his mother out. But, uh, Things were lost, and uh, the first generation struggled, the second generation struggled, the third generation struggled here, and the fourth. uh, He had the elements, uh, some years. Uh, Lack of fish, there was only really one side of the economy, and that was fish. A lot of immigration to the States, people gave up. They hung on here. There was only particular uh, different breaks they had. Uh, Like Patrick's Day was a great break during Lent. Uh, fellas get the pledge listed, you know, who, who had been guilty of drinking and went over to the priest to get the pledge. And they used to get it lifted for Christmas or... Get it lifted for uh, Patrick's Day or Lady Day, August 15th. There was, not a, there was not a big day here. A lot of people used to fish half-days for the
3: church. The unofficial church had always been here, had been coming out with the fishermen. But, um, you know, and these itinerant priests, But it was, in fact, a group of merchants who invited James Louis O'Donnell, who was an Irish Franciscan, to come out to Newfoundland and sort of formally establish the church, and that happened in 1784. So there was a substantial number of Irish in Newfoundland by that point who um, really had been toing and froing and coming back and forth um, in the migratory fishery, but in fact had stayed and become a permanent community here. So once the numbers sort of warranted, they decided, well, all right, um, it's worth it's worth sending someone out, and O'Donnell came out. So that was 1784, and that was about a month before Baltimore was established. So this would have been this is, in fact, in terms of the church, this is the oldest English-speaking Roman Catholic diocese in North America. They were all uh, indeed supposed supposed to be able to speak Irish because most of the people, uh, most of the ordinary Fisher Fisher people, Fisher folk did speak Irish and Irish Gaelic.
6: The cod fishery was a, an English language enterprise. It was managed by merchants who were from the west country of England and by English planters, their descendants, and it was the language of commerce. And much like, I suppose, English spread westwards in Ireland in the 17th and 18th centuries, um, Irish in Newfoundland disappeared with the generation that brought it, the immigrants. They would learn their English in Newfoundland. Well, it's interesting in terms of accent, how Newfoundland dialects, uh, varieties of English uh, might have developed. Uh, It's possible that that the Irish accent that you get in Newfoundland would be rooted in Wexford, because they, after all, spoke English before they left. Uh, It could hardly be rooted in in West Waterford or or even uh, South Tipperary, because... They simply had, did not have English. They would have learned it here. They could learn it from earlier Irish settlers, already established here, and many, I'm sure, did, the later people who came. The first Irish who came, and uh, Irish migrants who could not speak English, worked for English masters or planters. And one would imagine that they would have accents like their English masters, which would therefore be uh, Devonshire or Dorset, or Bristol, uh, West Country. And we find that today in mixed communities where English and Irish share a harbour, and they're, they're very numerous. And um, the disappearance of, of the Irish language in Newfoundland with the death of the immigrants created a kind of a vacuum, a cultural vacuum, and that the Catholic Church and Catholicism itself...
7: More as colonised, that space, cultural space. Speaking Irish, my father had some which he learned from, from Margaret Barley. But Irish wasn't taught here. Uh, I, I had a liking for it from because of my father. And uh, we even studied a little bit, he and I. Mm. And I remember uh, getting some uh, records of Irish songs from Lingophone. Mm. And uh, my father was quite emotional about when he heard them first. Pé nae nae, Sean O'Dwyer of Alana, uh, born to nae nae no. Oh, that's that's a nice poem. It's just, it does refer to this wild land, and it, it it is a it's a blessing from here to there.
3: I, I
7: know a little bit of it, yes, I a little bit of it, yes, but I to a of land
4: is very much based on Irish, like the music and the drama, the dancing, all of these things, if you trace them back, you'll find that they they, they come from Irish roots. And uh, and the cultural part, especially in the that is is a reflection, really, of, of Irish culture, more so than English and Scotch. There's some, and the it intermingles, it's a little different. But there is a, a big... Uh, uh, a large part of it is based on the Irish thing, and of course we have our story we still believe you know over here there are people still believe in the little people the good people uh, they um, the, if you go up the southern shore of uh, Newfoundland, which is basically Irish, you will find that people will talk to you about anything else. but if you bring up the uh, fairies or good people, they will not talk about them. they're still afraid that something will happen right, and uh, they'll still point out to you places where there are fairy paths, uh, fairy rings, and, uh, and God help you if you build your house on a on a fairy path because it will be moved. We have a lot of stories of people out berry picking or gathering wood or something who have been uh, hit a fairy breeze has hit them and carried them something like forty miles and where they too. Firmly believe this is, and people will tell you that. Uh, and if some, there are stories of uh, children being lost and, I uh, mean, taken by the fairies, and kept, uh, and then returned, but they were never really the same after. Uh, my sister, lives in Placentia. she did a little bit of uh, home care for a while, and one uh, of the patients in the house where she was working, my sister got to know her a bit, and talk to her a bit, and she... So eventually she loosened up and she told her that she'd been carried off by the fairies when she was young and she showed her one of her breasts had withered and this was the fairy mark.
0: When there was no radios, there was no televisions, there was no telephones, there was no nothing. And they tell a big story and you get real frightened and they tell it so creepy that if you went outside a door and a cat or a dog rubbed, this would fall down the pile, you get such a fright. <laughs> yeah, used to tell real ghost stories. Oh, God, it's telling so good that they really think that there was someone there. Uh, But uh, they used to believe a lot in the fairies that time. They used to, and they tell stories. I remember when I used to go out, and my my grandmother say, Be sure that you have bread in your packet. And she said, You have to be stale bread. She said, Don't go with fresh bread here. You have stale bread in your packet, because she said, The fairies will take you. She said, The fairies, she said, you know, their, their favorite color is green. And she, said, and she said, if you're going now, she said, you'll lose your way. She said, don't go by yourself. Bring someone, because the fairies will take you. And we, we are so frightened about the fairies. <laughs> you get real good, then you start praying. <laughs> so it's too late to pray now. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh, there was an old woman up here, Mrs. Mary Jo Mooney was her name. Mooney now the call them, but Mooney was the con that time. We don't, I don't, I said it's Mooney. And... Uh, she used to go had the cows, she'd be a lot of cattle, you know, and she'd go milk her cows in the evening. She'd go way out, way out, oh, way out over the bones, way out here, and she'd milk her cows. And this evening she was going, and she heard the crowd singing, and they'd go, on, you know, and they had all little red caps on them, and they all used to go around, and you know, around a big tree, and they'd go around, she heard them, and she thought they were singing out at her. She said, Get on, you sassy thing, she said. you singing out at me, she said. I, she said, "When I, you were Before you were born, she, said, she was a midwife. She said, I had to go over to the antenna. She said, Get on with you, said said, singing out at me. And they had red caps. But what she was wondering, they all had red caps. And they're going around, they singing. But they didn't do anything to her. She just went down. She went down, she milked her cows. And she'd bring the big bucket of milk, big pail of milk home. And strange, she was going to the woods. But when she came home, she sang about the sassy young ones, she said, singing out at her which went to the fairies. They had red caps and green, and they danced around and played. And the same time around, at the same time, there was an old man who used to live away down by the... right out here in the cove, you know, right down the river. And his name was Dick English. And he used to stay by himself, and he had an old shack, and old door. Uh, he used to latch the door on the inside, and he used to go sleep and lie down. So this night... He was lying down, he smoking away at his pipe, not mine. And he said, put down his pipe and he'd go to sleep. So finally he heard the door opening, and he heard knocking at the door. And he never spoke, and he kept getting really And he started the little ones coming in, the little fairies coming in, and he had a whistle, he used to play in the evening, and he had it up on his door, and he heard them getting up, getting the whistle, and, and he come down, and they started playing the tune. But he was listening, And they played the tune and they danced and they rang that. So when he finished, he put up the whistle on the door, and they went out and they latched the door again. And when they were gone, he got up and he went playing the tune that the fairies played, and he played it so good that that was the tune. And he played that tune, and over in Ireland or anywhere, no one could never have that tune. Whatever he played, no one ever heard the tune before.
8: Ye lads and lassies of Newfoundland, come listen to my tale. Until I relate the hardships great I spent in St. John's Jail. Although I'm a prisoner in this land, I'll do the best I can to relate the hardships I did inspire in the prison of Newfoundland, on the twenty-eighth day of October last, to the country first I came, on a pretty brig from Bollymore, the paragraph by name. We were consigned unto Harvey's wharf, our cargo therefore to land. Which causes me bitterly to regret my voyage to Found land. Now the day of my trial, it be grieved my heart full sore. For to see one there at a liberty who falsely on me swore... The judge, he found me guilty, and those words I heard him say, Four months bread and cold water in the penitentiary. Now when my trial was over, then they marched me right away. Down to that penitentiary, my winter there to stay. T'was there I met comrades plentiful, as you may understand, To be fed on bread and cold water in the prison of Newfoundland. Now this jail was situated by the side of a lonely pond, where oftentimes I sat sitting there like the mocking bird alone. Oh, watching the lads and the lassies how they used to sport and play. ...through those iron gates and windows of the penitentiary. Now one night as I lay fast asleep all in my prison cell... ...I dreamt I was back in old Ira land where once I used to dwell... The pleasing dreams, they disturbed my rest, as you may understand. For alas, I woke with my heart a-broke in the prison of Newfoundland. Now to conclude and finish, I mean to end my song. Oh, Johnny Doyle, it is my name, and, old Ireland I do belong. I spent all my time in them black Pauline since ever I went to sea, and it's pretty soon I'll be going back to the land of liberty. I spent all my time in them black balline Since ever I went to sea, and now at last, sure, I'm caught fast to the penitentiary.
2: I grew up with songs and stories and everything, and everything, my God, all the songs and all the stories were all Irish. But uh, I didn't have any expectation. You were asking me earlier, you know, what, what did I think of Ireland when I went over? I didn't have any expectation of what it was going to be like. I didn't think it was going to be um, like you still find now, about parts of Connemara and parts of, of Donegal and certainly around Cork. Uh, you certainly still find some of that. But that is the impression that many people had of Ireland. I remember when I got over there and you really, you know, size it up and think, God, there's an awful lot of crowd home. If they came over, they'd be some disappointed. Because it's not at all what they grew up with and the songs and stories that they grew up with. God, I mean, you know, which is only fair and it's only right. My goodness, I mean, it's, 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 what would you expect? What What else would you expect? Time moves on. It's just that here it didn't, you know, because here people grew up with, it's still the way it was when they left it. But um, as I said, you know, that that's changing. And the world is definitely getting smaller all the time. And there's people now, young people now, just in this community of about 300 people. There's a good half a dozen of them, a dozen have been, already been to Ireland. 16, 17 years old, and they've already been over to Ireland. People are traveling more, and they're, and they're seeing more. And I find that if you're in places like this now, if you're living in a place like this now, it's because you choose to, and you choose this way of life, and you want to stay here.
3: I can go to places like Carrick on shore, or walk through the streets of Waterford, or or Wexford, or New Ross, and you can instantly see that the architecture of those places is our architecture. Uh, the tongues and, and the, the, the accents and the voices that you hear are heard here. The way we say our words, the way we sort of think about things, our sort of our dry humor, much of our music, we have these connections to Europe. And there's no denying it. There's, there's utterly no other place in North America that has that kind of set of connections. People say, oh, well, Newfoundland, the reason why we have this is because you existed in isolation. I would argue not. We traded with the world. We were the grand cod fishery of the universe. And if you go to the, the remote, most remote outports in Newfoundland, you will still find furniture and books, and you'll still find artefacts that obviously have come from other parts of the world. So we were not isolated. I'm not even sure we were culturally isolated. But we had our own dynamic, and that, I think that is the difference. It wasn't the isolation that sort of gave us the culture or allowed us to sort of preserve our, our heritage or makes us similar to Europe. It's, it's our own dynamic and the fact that we had our own dynamic, and we still do have our own dynamic. I think now in terms of our culture in Newfoundland and Labrador, as we now call ourselves... We're undergoing a renaissance. We're really immediately now starting to make the connections between all that scholarship that's been done on our connection with Ireland and, you know, the West Country of England, but especially Ireland because it's been the, un- it's been the neglected aspect. I mean, there was thir- the first 30 years of professional Newfoundland history after Confederation concentrated on the West of England fishery, you know, and, and the original idea was, oh, the Irish came along to Newfoundland as helpmeets to the West Country fishing masters, you know. Then you have scholarship by people like John Mannion. You know, oh well, you know, there's a hundred vessels coming out of Dublin in sixteen eighty, you know, and there's there's you know, we we know it's the it was the largest, most concentrated migration from any part of the old world to any part of the new over the longest period of time. And any recorded human migration was the, was the really the sixty miles around Waterford to the hundred miles around St. John's. And we're we're starting to realize that that many of our institutions had their connections and roots with Ireland. Even families. Um, I was probably the first in my family to go back to Ireland. I developed an interest in Newfoundland history and then looking at the Irish in it, and then Irish Newfoundland history, and then as a graduate student I went went back to Ireland. I'd been the first person in my family to go back to Ireland since 1751 when they arrived from Thomastown.
6: Cultural links were not maintained except through the church. In other words, that priests would come to administer Irish priests or Newfoundlanders. Irish Newfoundlanders would go to Dublin to All Hallows and Maynooth and, and uh, be ordained and come back. But beyond that, there was hardly any link. So th- these people were cut off for uh, a century and a half, from 1840 to the recent past. And um, we're now looking at generations six, seven, eight, and 9 of, of, of Irish uh, descent here. And it's only recent generations, people born since 1950 who have reconnected with Ireland and are learning through modern media, uh, have been learning now for some time about Ireland, and that in a sense has um, heightened their awareness of um, their Irishness, so in a sense there's a a revival. You see this with music, and as time went went on, um, after the migrations, people lived on memory, And that memory, of course, has to fade in time over generations. And their image of Ireland uh, by 1930, a 100 years after the migrations ended, would be quite different to their image today because they know so much more about the place than uh, their parents or grandparents, certainly.
0: St. Bridges' class, I got over there. You say about St. Bridges, you know, about her feast day and how they go around from door to door bringing stuff, you know. Different kind of vegetables or fruits or anything, and that she was a really good saint, Saint Bridget. I, she, I, she, they didn't give me that cross, Aidan and Joyce. Give me that cross. I have this dear she saint. She's in the house, never born. So I believe in that. I have no insurance on my house. I don't pay nothing because of Saint Bridget's cross, and I believe in that. And uh, they used to they used to have stories about Ireland. There was a big famine over in Ireland one time, and I mean, a lot of people had to get out you know, and live and go in different places.
2: My family, unlike probably, well, certainly the generation before, you know, when when you grew up with the stories about Ireland, it was how terrible it was that they had to leave. And it was always, you know, the sadness of not going back. And I think that by the time I got to about my my parents' generation, or certainly in my particular family anyway, with my mum and dad, there was none of that. You'd still consider it home, but this is home. You know, we've been here long enough to be putting down roots here. You know, when we were growing up, certainly around here, these places, you're a Newfoundlander first and then you're Irish and then you're Canadian after that. So, you know, I found that interesting when people were talking about, uh, you know, when I was recruiting people to go to work in Ireland. Surely it's would to go to Ireland than to go to parts, other parts of Canada because you felt a, more of a, a kinship with, with Ireland than with, you know, mainland Canada. And a lot
5: of Newfoundland songs... Uh, derived derive from Irish music, like Irish jigs, like, you know, like we have one called the Squidget and Grounds. We have one uh, which is which is Welch, uh, it's a jig, Tatterjack Welch. And, and uh, we have a song called the Squid and Ground," which is the very same um, ear, you know. And another one, we have a uh, tickle called Pan, which I, I forget the name of that Irish tune, but it's from another Irish tune anyway. We'll be playing that today too, so you can hear them, you know. Father and mother used to play the accord, they used to play the dancers and lancers and... And quadrilles net around the bears, you know. The, 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 the bears had a lot of uh, dancing, and they, they played the square dances and the lancers, and reels, and hawkers, Everything, anything that they could they could, they could dance to, really, you know. They played, you know? and they uh, they played. Sometimes they played a reel and in jig time or something, but just to accommodate the dance, you know what I mean? How they did it, I don't know, but I, I'm sure they did it. You know? They never had the radio or. Like we had it, so it was all passed down to them from from the Irish forebears. And of course, the music changed over the years. You know, you know, to suit their own standards. You know, yeah. uh, the, uh, the timing, of was a lot faster than than, than, than than the Irish music. Uh, perhaps they, I don't know. Perhaps they want to get it over with fast. I don't know why why was Why they played it so fast? What they did. And they also put little little variations in the in the music, like an extra beat. Why they did it, I don't know, but I'll be playing one here today now where you can hear that that extra beat in it.
6: Newfoundland Connection were box player Frank Marr, singer Christopher Young, farmer Ali O'Brien, folklorist Mike McCarthy, historian John Fitzgerald, storyteller Mary Power and businesswoman Nadia Power. We also heard from ex-fisherman Nick Carine of Placentia and geographer John Mannion, once of Galway and for 40 years now of Memorial University Newfoundland.
7: Sound supervision for the
6: programme was by Colin moore The Newfoundland Connection was produced by
7: Cahill Porter.
1: If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.